check, check. David T. Miller, folks. Loading artist. Audio inside. Loading artist. Audio inside. Oh, it's Oddcast, it's Oddcast, it's Oddcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen by your easel, maybe you can grab a chair. Or even take it with you like you ain't got no care. Loading artists. Audio inside. Loading artists. Audio inside. So sit back and relax and grab your headphones too. Adjust your volume, it's hotcast. Philip J. Mellon welcomes you. So sit back. Oh yeah, it's Artcast. Loading artists. Audio inside. Loading artists. Audio inside. Hey, and welcome to Otcast. Be sure to check out the artist's websites or otcast.com and check out the work and links. All right, let's get started. This episode's guest is Hamden, Connecticut-based painter Kat Balco. Kat has a solo show up, My Exploding Stars, through Saturday, February 1st, 2020 at Rick Wester Fine Art, 526 West 26th Street, that's Suite 417, New York, New York. If you're in the area, do check it out. In this episode, Kat and I talk in depth into her studio life, including mention of managing time, including being a mother, teaching full-time, and painting, looking, and painting some more. We also talk at length about the work in the show, and where they came from, and some insight into how they were made. Thanks for joining us today. Stay tuned for more. Welcome to Oddcast, Kat. Thank you. Happy to be here. Cool, thanks. So where are you based out of? My studio is behind my house uh, in Hamden, Connecticut, which is just a little bit north of New Haven. Okay, cool. Now, do you get to New Haven often, or...? Yeah, I mean, I I live like ten minutes away from New Haven, so I kind of consider myself part of the New Haven art community. Um, there are a ton of artists who live in New Haven, yeah, which yeah. is great. So we have a really rich community of of people to talk with about work, and also we have some great museums here. The Yale museums are fantastic, and Art Space, which is sort of the local nonprofit, is also really terrific. So can you tell me about some of your early art experiences and when perhaps you felt you got serious about it? Sure. I, um, I was, a, I studied painting in college and when, so I went to Yale as an undergrad, um, and I, I wasn't really, I didn't go to college with an idea about what I was going to study. Um, probably didn't think I would become a painter. Uh, but I started working with my, I took an introdu- introduction to painting class uh, my sophomore year in college with 
a really, really renowned professor named Robert Reed, who died several years ago, um, a really powerful person. And the class was uh, transformative. I fe felt that painting was sort of like the hardest thing I'd ever done, but yeah. also the a practice that seemed to me to have a lot of potential in terms of helping me heal myself or become a better person or build character. Uh, I, I chose painting because of the work, because of how meaningful I found the work to be. Um, and my sense of that meaningfulness of what this work might hold really came out of that class. So I would say I decided to become a painter when I was a sort of a sophomore in college. I was a painting major in college. Um, but painting was always really difficult for me. It was always really frustrating and, you know, as it is for so many of us, uh, never came easily. Yeah. When I finished college, I actually stopped painting for about six years because it was just, it was just kind of like too hard. Um, and then I, I started again <laughs> in my late twenties, um, after a series of kind of business failures, sort of just to, it was sort of like my life. I had, I had a lot of like false starts and, um, came back to painting when I was 27 and was kind of ready to, to really take it on, um, put it at the center of my life. And then three years after that, I went to grad school, um, and, you know, and have been, it's been, it's been the main thing ever since. Yeah. It sounds like a really cool timeline. Like, I mean, maybe when going through it, we don't always know, like if we're younger, you know, studying how like difficult it can be. And then when, like you said, when you finish, I didn't make much much work after I finished art school either. You know, it took me a while. Yeah. Um, this did um did a community like an art outside art community help with that some of that for you or? Well, so when I um during my floundering early twenties, I lived at the Vermont Studio Center for a time, uh, the the wonderful artist colony in northern Vermont. Yeah. And sort of strangely, when I was living there, I actually wasn't painting. I was more interested in writing then. But but I I kind of you know took took it took took that place into my bones and connected to that community. And then when I was really ready to recommit to painting, I actually called my old boss John Gregg, who um, was the executive director at the time, and I, I basically just begged him for a for a spot, <laughs> just yeah. a Um which he offered, he had space and he offered it. And, and, um, they found a way for me to come and spend the month there. And, uh, and that was it. That was what, you know, just having that one month really allowed me to kind of turn my life around and redirect myself and dig in my heels as a painter. So I, I feel like I kind of owe it, owe it all to that, to the Vermont studio center and my, my relationship with them. Oh, cool. Yeah. I've never done a residency, but I can imagine just having that large block of time for a stretch and just i mean I, I imagine you know hearing stories and what have you that you you basically don't have to worry about much in a way except for making and is you feel that that's accurate or it's amazing because i think so many artists most artists all of us all artists you know we juggle so many things besides our studio practice yeah we have jobs we have families maybe we have health problems or you know who knows but that myth that an artist is someone who gets to just like sit in the studio all the time and sort of just, you know, gaze into the, into the deep into themselves, you know, that just doesn't, isn't the reality for 99% yeah. of the artists that I know. So when you, 
go to a residency, you actually get to live like that for a month. And, you know, no one knows anything about you really, except that you're an artist. Um, so all of a sudden that part of you grows and is nurtured and kind of has a space to take up more space. And, uh, it's really transformative. I, I can't recommend residencies highly enough. I, I just, I kind of selected this question for you. I thought maybe it'd be interesting. And so I was wondering, what do you spend most time doing uh, during the process of making a painting, looking, making, or thinking? Yeah, that's a good question. So my studio practice has changed a lot. And with these most recent paintings, it, it, my life is very uh, chopped up. And I, I think this is true for a lot of parents, um, you know, historically mothers that you have, you know, you're always, you always got something going on. You've got a kid who needs something. You, um, I also, I teach full time. Um, I, I have a, a lot of things on my plate, so I yeah. never get like a big chunk of uninterrupted studio time. It's just not sort of an option. And I think maybe partly because of that limitation, partly in response to that limitation, my painting practice has evolved into being this kind of like practice that's about interruption. I basically, I work in my studio for about an hour, an hour and a half painting these big layers of paint. Yeah. And then um, they need to dry and they need to dry usually for like five or six hours at least. So, and I, I have, you know, I have a, a decent sized studio, but I can really only fit two or three of the larger sized paintings on the floor where they need to stay to dry. So my studio, the time I spend in the studio, like is just limited by my, by my work. Um, and it sort of fits perfectly into my very fractured life. So I basically head out in the studio for an hour, an hour and a half, paint a layer. Um, I usually take a picture of my paintings on my phone. And then as I go through the rest of the day, I'll glance at it. I sort of live with them, um, you know, as I move through my day and then I'll head out again for another hour, hour and a half when I can catch a minute. Um, you know, on a good day, I'll get two sessions, two or three sessions, maybe. Um, many days I just get one. It's hard for me. I feel very, I always feel very impatient because I always want to see how the paintings are going to turn out. And yeah, I can't, <laughs> but it's just, it's really, it's really important for the paintings that the paintings dry fully before I work on the next layer. So, um, I guess I've, I've found that what at one point seemed like a kind of crippling limitation that being a, being a parent and working full time has strangely yeah. really helped me find my voice as an artist. I think. That's really cool. I mean, you know, it kind of dispels some of the myths that may be involved, like you had mentioned earlier, having like this big, you know, outside of a residency, having that time and may not always exist for everyone. Yeah. Um, and I, it's really, um, convinced me even more about, you know, just sort of the power of art, the magic of this, of this thing that we're involved in that, um, because I really don't, I, I think I'm actually a much better artist. My paintings are much better now than they were 15 years ago when I had all the time in the world. Um, yeah. and you know, so it's sort of just that, that there's, you know, that, that your, um, art sort of finds a way and, um, and, it isn't, it isn't about time, you know, time doesn't work like linearly for our artwork. Many of our, I had a teacher tell me once, uh, in grad school and he was totally right that many of the masterworks from 
you know, the 20th and 21st century were painted in less than six hours, you know, so the idea that you have to labor over a painting for days and weeks is just not true. Yeah. Now, you talked about drying times a little bit, and I was curious, I think I saw on your website that you, do you paint all in acrylics or? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I, I wish I could really make it to the show because uh, I don't know if it was this show or previous show. You actually have the, the, the broom. Yes. <laughs> on like it's part of the exhibition. I love it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, they're all painted with that. With really standard industrial. I mean, it's actually a very particular kind, but it's a it's a push broom that I buy through a janitorial supply site. Oh, one cool. that I, one that I like. Do you have a number of them or? Yeah, I use them. I basically use two sizes. I use the 36 by 36 inch wide one and I use the 48 by 48 inch wide one. They don't seem to make them any bigger than that. So that's kind of my my limit. Um, yeah. I have like a bunch of those at different at those two sizes. I have like four each. Cool. Now, that was uh, I'm glad you answered, answered the question of like what you do in between painting and say drying layers. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was I guess you gotta like I don't know. It's very sounds very productive and kind of a good use of the time. Yeah, um, I mean, I think for me, it's just been sort of magical the way that it has fit into my life. It makes me feel, you know, like I'm being an artist all the time, and it's 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 kind of a feminist issue too. I think women's work has been derided over the year. You know, the, like we can't be serious because we're always like having babies and cleaning the house and you know all the stuff. Yeah. And I feel like those activities, which I certainly do, although believe me, I don't clean the house as much as I uh, as I should. Um, <laughs> the, um, the those activities become part of of me, sort of developing my consciousness, my clarity, my um, my depth, you know. And then and then I'm able to make painting decisions from that consciousness, which kind of comes from my life, you know. I think it's a very in a way it's an Eastern way of making a painting. Um, you think about sort of the Chinese tradition of Chinese brush painting and how those paintings are made so quickly, but they come out of a highly developed consciousness. Yeah. It's like some vitality to them or. Yeah. And, yeah. and just kind of a, you know, maybe an eye or a knowing that comes out of a lot of personal work, a lot of spiritual work. Um, you know, and I'm not saying I'm, I'm sort of a great, a great sage, but, I'll tell you, mothering is a great way to become a better person. <laughs> <laughs> cool. It really is. <laughs> it was good to hear you talking about taking your painting with you on the phone by just taking a, a picture of it. It's yeah. like, I imagine that's really helpful. And like, I mean, of course, you've got to take a break. You're not on the phone all the time, I'm sure. But, uh, but say if you're not in the studio, you can take your phone and just take a peek. And you might even think of a title at that point or... Um, yeah. or I imagine anything really. Yeah. I mean, I come to think that looking is just as important as making. And I mean, I look at paintings, I look all the time, you know, I'm always looking at my students work when I'm teaching. I'm always, um, I, I, I make it a priority to go and see art all, you know, all the time. Um, and I spend a lot of time, I do spend a lot of time looking at my work and trying to kind of see what it's saying, where it's going, you know, where, where the, the freedom is where the spirit is in it and, and, and what parts, um, kind of show, you know, are, don't have that. And so I, I, I think of, yeah, I think of looking as, um, when you have a practice like mine, which is so limited by, I mean, 
my paintings are made in like nine brushstrokes, seven to nine brushstrokes. Yeah. Um, so it's not like I'm sitting there with my little brush, you know, touching the painting thousands and thousands of times. I'm not, I'm touching it nine times. Um, so it's, it's really about how well I touch it each time, how yeah. clear I am about, about where to put the mark. Um, and that comes out of, I think, a lot of looking. Do you think, um, would you say they're, they're well calculated or? Yeah. I mean, so these paintings are, um, I, I find the compositions by cropping paintings from an earlier series. Uh, so I actually have these kind of radial paintings that I was making about a year ago. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking that I would show those at this show that I just had, um, at Rick Wester, but I, kind of just it didn't feel right at, uh, last spring when I was really you know getting close to the show so actually a friend uh, did a studio visit and a wonderful painter and she sort of suggested that she just sort of made this really gentle suggestion about how cool the crops looked and I couldn't get it out of my mind so I um I tried to make a painting of the crop while you know keeping the scale the same so using the brooms as brushes and and all of a sudden it was sort of revelatory i was like that's it that's oh, the awesome yeah. <laughs> so so yeah they're all actually extremely planned i sometimes make a few modifications and i with my most recent work i've been playing with that a little bit more with leaving a few more things open um so that i can improvise a bit when i'm making the painting but for the most part the composition, the position of the strokes and the colors are all really predetermined. And then the place for accident is the, just the, the natural fluidity of the paint, the, the way it drips, the accidental smears, the way I can't fully control it when I'm working with an object as blunt as a broom as my brush. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Must be, I mean, it doesn't appear that in the painting so much, but is that thing hard to control or? <laughs> Yeah. And I like that about it. Like it's, you know, it's, it doesn't, I mean, I'm, I'm learning how to like kind of use it, but it's totally, it doesn't, it's totally hard to control. And, um, but that, that's, there's the material slippage there, which I love. I mean, that's where the painting becomes interesting to me. You know, I couldn't have predicted the way that things would drip or slide or right. particular edge might open up or stay closed. How about, uh, something talking about calculated, like say, uh, something that can be interpreted as a drop shadow. Is that some like a conscious thing or is that just a yeah. mixing color or? Yeah. So I am um, my part of my background is my first job after college was working as a trompe l'oeil painter. Yeah. Um, I just kind of fell into this really cool first job after college. I'll tell you, I was working with this amazing woman and kind of a team of other painters in, in Northern Vermont. Um, although she traveled all over New England. And, and kind of made, you know, was hired by people all over New England to do this, these wall finish and trompe l'oeil projects. Um, and I learned so much on that job about color, about kind of paint application. And so, you know, and also um, because I was painting these, these sort of super kitschy trompe l'oeil paintings, like, uh, you know, fake windows on the wall with, you know, fake bricks, fake marble, all that, that yeah. stuff, which is sort of like very kitschy and funny. Um, but I learned so much through it about color. Um, and I think in a way I kind of fell in love with that trompe l'oeil trope, that shallow space, the illusion yeah. of that really shallow space. And I've never let it go in my paintings. I've always had that shallow space in the paintings, that sense that 
the whole painting is happening in like three inches. Um, <laughs> but then there might be a deeper space behind. So even in these most recent paintings, um, it's not as calculated as it's been in earlier work, but you can still very much see the remnants of that, of that trompe l'oeil practice. That's cool. It's just, I mean, I'm sure it helps with the, the concept of illusion and, um, mm -hmm. yeah. I would say too, that for me, that, um, that trompe l'oeil trickery, which has yeah. really come up again and again in the Western painting tradition, you know, since the ancient Greeks were painting murals on their walls in Pompeii. And I, it's this, we've, we've been fascinated by the drop shadow, by the, the trickery, the illusion, the painting is real. Um, and yet it's also been, you know, it's obviously not real. It's obviously a painting. It's fake. You know, there's yeah. this, but I find that flickering back and forth between the illusion of reality and the, um, and the reality of the paint of the painting, I find that to be just a really fascinating uh, space. One of my favorite questions, as I always introduce it as, do you think you can um, use three to five words to describe your work? I, you know, when you wrote that question, I was like, oh man, <laughs> I'm a terrible person. <laughs> I don't know. Um, aspirational, I guess. I mean, I mean, that would be, if I can be aspirational, I will use five words. I would say, um, spacious, um, broad, open, yeah, bright, clear. Maybe did I get, I think that, I think I got five. <laughs> <Phew>. <laughs> no, they're good. I, I like clear and I think of clean, yeah. Um, sort of. Yeah. I have some words if you don't mind. Yeah, I'd love to hear them. Okay. I think I cheated though. <laughs> you were so good about not going over five, but. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to I'm, hear them. I'm going to break all the rules here. Um, okay, where are they? <laughs> hmm. Well, I definitely feel like an optimism. Mm, um, and, you know, just. I, I haven't. I have some words that are like related to each other, but I think some, you know, one of them was architectural. Mm -hmm. and lighthouse mm -hmm. uh, i just think that you know the brightness and the optimism kind of makes me think of a call you know awesome that's so and, cool and i couldn't help but think of nest after some of those it's mm -hmm. just like this sort of um like kaleidoscopic and you know as if you were staring into a flower and also what what was um oh probably the most joyful and inviting vortex is imaginable Oh, that's so great. Yeah, I, I just, I've really, I really enjoyed, you know, in being introduced to your work. And I was, sadly, I haven't seen them in person yet, but someday. And... That's great. I love those words so much. I can't tell you how happy or just how good it feels when you feel like, oh, my God, I made this thing. And, like, people get it. <laughs> it's just, the, the, especially when you're an abstract painter and it's just so abstract, you know? It's like, yeah. how I mean, do you... How, how Meaning. can I tell a story other than, you know, I mean, even your titles are kind of like, it, it is what it is, you know, like it's like blue triangle hiding or, you know, that's not exactly one of your titles, but. Um, right. right. They're really straightforward. The titles. Yeah. And that it, this, hopefully this isn't weird, but it makes me think of like some of the things my mother says, like she said, it is what it is, you know, <laughs> yeah. just about whatever, you know, 
Yeah. And talk about well, Sage. She's probably, you know, she's she's aging, of course. And, you know, I'm getting to spend a lot of time with her that I haven't done in a few years, you know, going away to art school and everything. And so when she comes out with stuff like that, <laughs> I'm like, Mom, are you okay? Yeah, it's the world. That's not okay. <laughs> you know? like, well, that's uh, so great. I mean, that's awesome that, he, yeah, she's she's got that knowledge and that uh, that clarity. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah cool. I, mean, I think I think I want the paintings to be just kind of ordinary, like regular in a way. Like they're not about they're supposed to be about like these regular moments in our ordinary lives that are yeah. transcendent at the same time. Um and it's so great that you see the joy or the call in them because I feel like, you know, that that's right. And that's that's what what I feel when I make them. It's that ordinary joy that's like not about anything special it's just a moment when we awake to the kind of just the beauty of our own lives in the middle of them you know that that we might sometimes just have these moments um where we want to sing. i mean i'm a terrible singer so <laughs> i can't <laughs> sing <laughs> thankfully i can paint um, where we want to sing or you know for me it's yeah. paint where we want to just just exclaim about this joy that's there um that's that's what i what I feel about them. Um, Speaking of singing and, you know, if I stretch it over into music, I, I usually try to listen. Sometimes preparing for an interview will lead me to a certain musician, singer, band. And mm -hmm. um, sometimes it happens naturally. And then I have to, sometimes I like to dig and think like, now who, who or what does this work sound like, you know? And, yeah. and it was very hard with yours. <laughs> Interesting. But, but I think in a good way. And then I think finally, somehow, do you know Joanna Newsom? No, but I, Joanne Newsom? Joanna Newsom? Um, I, I don't think so, but I'm going to write the name down and listen to her. <laughs> she, she mainly plays a, a large harp, and I'm not sure. I'm sure there's descriptions for the sizes and they have what have you, but uh, it's, it's probably nearly twice the size of her but anyway i guess most harps are <laughs> bigger you know the larger cool. side but um but there's a song called sawdust and diamonds and something about the pace of it and just the vocals even though it may seem like some of her s songs seem kind of like sad but they're they're really a celebration of that and thinking like the the opposite of like how they make you feel, you know, Does that makes sense. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think, I think when you talk about joy, you're always talking about sadness. Like I, I don't think that's why it's like, I don't think you can have one without the other. And, and, and like, it just becomes this bittersweet thing that, yeah, you know, is really, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, um, yeah. I mean, how can, you know, you got to have the balance of the two to know, know one to know the other kind of thing. It's interesting, been interesting for me because, you know, I keep talking about my kids, but I have these two young kids and, and I think so many parents have this experience. They, they bring, you know, they, they bring me so much joy. I mean, they're just, they're so amazing. Yeah. And yeah. yet there's also always, my husband and I talk about this all the time. There's this, like, they're also growing towards leaving. Um, and they're also growing towards kind of closing their lives to me, um, which is appropriate. I mean, you know, it would be really weird for like a, 40, I have two sons, for a 40-year-old man to be like, you know, as intimate with his mother as my children are with me right now. <laughs> but there's always this loss, this impending loss yeah. wrapped up in the joy and the newness. And so it's this crazy bittersweet feeling that is, um, I don't know, really powerful. I hadn't expected motherhood to be 
quite like that. Yeah. I imagine, I don't, <laughs> I can't begin to say I know what that feels like. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. But like, I just feel like you'd want, you want them to go, you know? Yeah. And it, I mean, you mentioned bittersweet, so there's that too, you yeah. know? Um, yeah. I mean, it's like that, you know, it's just, I mean, this is, there's something about like the intersection of time, you know, things wouldn't be so beautiful. I remember this too, sort of like those funny examples, but flowers, when I got married, I had this beautiful bouquet and of course it died because it's made of flowers. That's what they yeah, do. Yeah. But you have, but it's sort of like in contemplating that bouquet, just like, right. Like everything beautiful ends. Like it just does. And that's something about the fact that it ends is part of what amplifies its beauty. Um, but it also makes it really tragic. So you kind of yeah. can't have one without the other. Yeah. It's, there's a quote floating around out there and I, I wish I remember who said it, but it said, basically that same thing that you just mentioned, but then said, that's why we're not uh, attracted or enamored to fake flowers, you know? Right. It doesn't, I mean, even if you were to paint a still life with fake flowers, I'm sure it would show. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be feeling the awareness of their, of their fragility, of their temporality. Yeah. Um, it's the, when you're it's, making the paint. I wonder if still life is an oxymoron. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, well, I think it is. I think it's the, you know, the painter's attempt to fix this thing, which can't be fixed and the inherent, you know, the, um, inherent failure in that way. Well, you can't get away from it. You're going to fail. <laughs> it <Yeah>. will change. <laughs> like I really had a nice experience thinking about your work and like just considering it, you know, like in my, in, because I haven't seen them, but yeah. I have a few more questions, but I'll just, just for the sake of, uh, my like really responses to what I've seen of your work online. I just like, I think uh, anyway, I'll just like basically read it. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I see like, I feel like they're kinetic and I mm -hmm. didn't know if maybe are you into like moving pictures or film or, or movies of any kind or. Not, I'm not so into, I mean, I, I, of course I, 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 I enjoy movies. It's not, it's never been a, like a, deep interest of mine what when you said that word in the in the or i think in one of the questions you sent i i thought about i think about like athletics a lot i don't know if that is sort of the avenue that you're thinking of but i was a yeah like a movement that's cool i mean definitely i was a i was um i was an ice hockey player in college oh yeah <laughs> um i spent a lot of my childhood skating um I wasn't really a great like ice hockey player in terms of my stick handling and that whole puck thing, but, <laughs> but I, I was a really good skater when I was a kid. I, I loved cool. skating. It was a real joy for me. Um, yeah. And I think I still see that in the work, you know, the, the movement of the skates and the, um, that I think that's very much still in the work. Yeah. Like uh, I guess maybe even the marks that were left in the ice in a way. Yeah, the marks in the ice, the sense of a skate blade moving across. Yeah, that's cool. It's same motion as I imagine of some of the the broom, you know, like passages and passes and. Yeah, absolutely right. Now, one of the things I thought was uh, maybe it's movement too is that I kind of, I wonder if I'm guilty of reading them like a book, like reading, like, text on a page but circling around clockwise potentially, and then is possibly is that like when you paint them do you ever like have yeah, sort of start I'm, one i'm sorry spinning them yeah so the paintings that they come from the source paintings 
that I then crop were radial. So they looked like stars or suns or wheels. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I, well, I got really into, I would always turn the paintings when I was making them. And for a few reasons, I, one was that I loved the way that it, the, it kind of challenged me compositionally that every time I turned the painting, I had to reconsider the composition and kind of find it again because the force of gravity is so strong that it, it really changes how we read a composition. Right. Um, so in spinning them, I felt like I was making these compositions that were like really tight, like because they could work from any direction. And I kind of pushed the gravity out of it as this dominating force. Um, so even though the paintings I'm making now are not symmetrical or not radially symmetrical, I still spin them. I still kind of work on them at different directions. And when they're done, I often feel like they could work in a number of different orientations, although I usually do pick one at the end. Right. Now, do you ever work on them vertically or like mix it up? Or um, If I want something to drip, I'll put it up vertically for a little while. Yeah. Um, but I always, you know, I've discovered early on when I started working with the brooms that you really can't, I had this idea at first that I'd be able to like dip the broom into a big bucket of paint and then just like make this big brushstroke with it. But it doesn't work that way because the broom won't hold enough paint. Okay. So you need to pour the paint on the canvas and then brush it out with the broom. But then if after that I want something to drip, then I'll hold it up, put it up vertically so that it drips. Cool. That seems so fun. <laughs> it's so, it's super fun. It's yeah. really fun. It's really like messy and fun, and you know it's great. The conversation continues, where I share more with Cat about my responses to her work. They act as like a threshold to something, but there's something kind of poetic about. I imagine myself in front of one of your paintings. I feel like it's very inviting, uh, and there's not really like this. It it's more of a concave than a convex. Mm -hmm. if that makes sense Philip it's so awesome like hearing your observations because again I feel like oh my gosh you get that from them like that's so <laughs> cool. um you know I I absolutely am so glad you see them as thresholds or openings I one of the themes in the work has always been this kind of liminal space between the real and the spiritual world um oh, that wow. that spiritual world is always kind of there for us like right behind the screen of our ordinary lives. It's not like off in some distant land far away. It's like right here, but there's always stuff in front of it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. Who knows what, like whatever crap we're dealing with. Um, but I feel like there are moments for all of us when that screen like parts a bit and we sort of see through the screen into the, the, the spiritual world or the world within this world or the, yeah. the kind of grid, you know, all of that stuff is like, I think when you're kids, kids, I remember loving magic so much, you know, kids of course are closer to it. They kind of feel that presence a little bit more easily than we do as adults, but yeah. the paintings are meant to be a kind of invitation um, or like that, 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 you know, that stuff parting just a bit so that you can sort of see through it into the, the numinous space of, you know, spirit. Yeah, I love it. You know, when I thought about architecture or a nest or just visually, and even with the nest, more of like, I guess, symbolically in a way, mm -hmm. but, and thinking of architecture, whether it's 
the, I'll just like the rafters of, of say a church or, or a, a bell tower or something. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, with there's not necessarily, well, there's no bats in the belfry on your paintings. Cause it's, <laughs> some people may like the bats, but if you don't <laughs> like bats, then you're still welcome. Don't worry. But it's, it's definitely not like the lights are on and nobody's home. Yeah. Definitely not that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so another great connection, you know, uh, I mean, a couple thoughts there. I think certainly when I was making the radial paintings, I was thinking about churches and rose windows and churches and that kind of the space in which we can experience the the timeless, you know, the the kind of the forever, the endless, the, yeah. even though we need a space in which to experience that, to mediate that. Um, and I also want to say that I my paintings are really abstract, but my training as an artist is really uh, a lot, I was a plein air painter for a really long time, um, painting landscapes and cityscapes. And so I have like a strong drawing training um, and I feel really like the structure of the painting, it just like, it's gotta be a strong, it's gotta have a really strong structure. Um, And that, you know, that comes from just my my drawing work, my observational work. So I think, air the sense that like i want these paintings to feel very structured yeah and, and you know it's even just though the, the duet oh, i'm sorry no go I ahead it, yeah yeah i think you broke up a bit so i thought you were done <laughs> oh yeah no that's okay <laughs> um i feel like there's a nice duality with you know you're saying the structure the architecture like i said and then um but the color and the light on like sort of like superimposed or sort of like mesh with that is mm. like definitely a strong like feeling you know Mm-hmm. Um, no, I think that's right. I think it's sort of like the structure of the space and then something about the fluidity and brightness of the light, the openness of the light. Yeah. And of course, from plein air, I imagine that's where that comes from. Yeah. I mean, also when you, when you work, when you're a landscape painter or a cityscape painter, you're all, I mean, I, you're always dealing with like these vertical making space using these verticals and horizontals. And for a landscape painter, it's trees for a cityscape painter. It's buildings, but there's always this kind of intersection, at least for me, I was always interested in kind of crowded spaces rather than, um, you know, desert landscapes or open landscapes by the ocean or something where there, where there weren't forms intersecting the, yeah, yeah. also that sense of like the vertical, the horizontal kind of holding up the space is, is still really very strong in my paintings. Cool. Now, what do you think of the word craft? Like, does that, like whereas like the the process is the departure part of it and craft is the arrival like Mm. it's like i just feel like they're well crafted and i think maybe that's kind of like what we've been saying for the past few minutes but that's so cool and i'm so glad you feel that way i mean it's funny because it's taken me it's funny to make a painting which is so simple in a way like you know they if you totaled the time that i was touching the canvas it would be pretty short and Right. Again, very simple paintings, but, you know, but I, it's all, it's been a life's work to become as comfortable with the flu, you know, to mix the paint at just the viscosity that I want to know how to manipulate its fluidity so that it shows my hand and doesn't show my hand in just the right yeah. way, you know, to build the structure of them, to mix the colors, like all of that stuff is, um, I've been working on for a really long time. And I think the evolution of the craft, it's interesting because it's in the end, it was like taking a lot of stuff away 
rather than adding, you know, removing yeah, it's like unnecessary. Sculpting marble, right? <laughs> yeah, it, taking it, stuff, yeah. Totally. I forget who s said something to that effect. And it's, I gotta be on top of my quotes if I'm gonna keep doing this. But... <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, you don't. <laughs> uh, or carving more. I'm not sure, I'm not much of a sculptor, so I forget the terminology after a while. Uh, do you think there is a parallel between your work and another activity or profession? And if so, what would it be? Yes, I do. I think it would be sort of manual labor. Um, I think the, um, I wish I could remember there was a show when I was in graduate school that the artist Daniel Boschkoff organized at one of the Yale galleries. Okay. And I wish I could remember the name of the artist. The artist made, um, had filmed laborers working in kind of in their, at their labor. So people um, with scythes cutting down wheat, people working in factories and machines. Um, and what was so amazing about the videos was the kind of the poetry of the movement of their bodies. You yeah. know, we think of these activities as like very base or boring or ordinary. And yet when you do anything a lot, your body sort of starts to have a kind of you know, it starts to kind of adjust and adapt. And I think it's possible to turn that labor into a kind of poetry or a song or, you know, yeah. a kind of, and it's so beautiful to me because it's like there in that is the possibility of, of like, it, it, like it, like a freedom or a spiritual transformation that in the most ordinary work, you can create something beautiful. And so I, you know, I, I like to think of myself in the studio. I mean, I'm working with a broom, I'm sweeping, you know, I'm, yeah forming this really humble activity that um, isn't fancy. <laughs> and so I think like, I like to think of, I mean, I think of my work like along the lines of anybody's labor, any, any ordinary person's labor. Yeah, that's cool. I, I just think it's interesting to, to like, whether it's sculpture or painting, to do what's done in the studio and then not so much literally clean it up, but, and then put it on a white wall for people to see, you know, yeah, <laughs> like, and yeah. present it. And then it's like, wow, like it's, it's a s surprise, like in a way yeah, to, to see it that way. To, I mean, even for the artists to have their own show to see oh it God. that way, you know, like, and it's straight. It, and it, I guess one of the dream is, is to have it be in its rightful place, like for the rest of its existence, you know, um, I you guess know, whether, so. Yeah. I'm yeah. Sorry. I think that's right. But I also think there's just like, maybe for artists, the most rewarding part is like seeing the, like the eternal in your own work, like whether or not, you know, whether or not it ever, I who even, whether or not I'm even right about that. Maybe, maybe I'm just making it up, <laughs> but like, <laughs> but you know, I think you do get to sometimes see like these, these powerful forces that you've harnessed or you've tapped into or something. Yeah work and it's just like it's awesome that's cool i also think the effect of your work and you know i i was just thinking this i'm like what am i what am i gonna say i haven't even seen them <laughs> <laughs> but you, you, one can imagine but i think you know i think it was help has actually helped me is the the photos you've posted of people in front of them yeah so i can actually yeah. see the scale or imagine myself like oh i'm about as tall as that person you know like how would it how would it yeah. look to me and and i i I had this other interview with an author friend of mine and we, I asked him about timely versus timeless and hmm. what, you know, what he thought was more, you know, what does he gravitate towards more or whatever. But I think for me with your work, I think they're very timely and mm -hmm. like, 
uh, just, what just... Is so, I mean, that's someone else said that too. And can you tell me why, what is it about it that makes you feel that way that they're timely? I think it's the scale uh -huh. and is like part of it. And you know, some of the, other, like the, the optimism for one thing, like, and that's, that's yeah. what I'm pulling from it. And you know, I mentioned music earlier and I was trying to do this and I couldn't find a, you know, it's kind of known as post rock, I guess. I'm not, you know, I don't write, write music reviews, but, <laughs> um, uh, and it's, you know, the, there's this band called Saxon shore and mm -hmm. their titles. I could very well see them on your paintings, you know, to a degree. And, but yet the, they're too, they're, they're a little too loud and a little too heavy, but I was tr like trying to find, music or in that post-rock genre that would sort of point to your paintings hmm. um it but, but i think what does it is that they the music is clean and that's a parallel to me mm -hmm. and you know just i think i think we all need to be nicer to each other and i think the paintings are nice <laughs> that's, nice. <laughs> like, I mean, that's, great. that's great to hear yeah i mean does that make i mean yeah yeah you know i think they like they're, that's so great. And I, I feel like it's, um, there is a, a sense of optimism, I guess, or a, a sense of our potential, our, you know, like how awesome we are, we are like, you yeah, know, yeah. the, the, the fascinating, the human. And, um, I read, uh, I, you know, I'm getting, making my way through that ninth street woman, women book. Um, and there was a quote early on about, I can't, of course I'm, I can't remember who said it, but it was something that was said about abstract expressionist work at, at the time when it was being made. And it was about how um, artists were, how, how important it was to make work, even in a difficult political time, because you need to kind of preserve the highest potential of the human spirit. Like you need to preserve and reframe it in the language of the time so that people don't forget <laughs> the things that humans are capable of. Um, right. And I would love for my work to do that, to sort of, remind us who we can be who we really are yeah. all the the beauty that we have and are you know i think we we need that reminder right now yeah <laughs> sure. there's a big sort of there's a huge separation and sort of a um uh a conflict right now and it's just yeah. not i mean no matter where <laughs> it seems we, we see there's we see a lot of like the ugly in each other right now for better or for worse i'm not saying that's all bad but Right. You know, there's something else there too. I'm wondering, do you have a quote you would like to share? Sure. I was thinking about, I mean, I don't know that it has to do with my paintings, but one that I find myself saying often, um, it's from St. Augustine. I'm, I'm a pretty spiritual person. I am um, kind of, a, I'm, I'm, I'm like, am I a religious person? I don't know. Maybe like I, I don't know. I'm not sure I would say I'm a religious person, but I go to church. I love, um, reading kind of religious texts and I love uh, to read about sort of Christian mystics particularly. And so St. Augustine is someone that, that I've loved to read, but he just the short, the short quote is um, um, late. Have I loved you? Oh, beauty ever ancient and ever new. Um, you know, it's from kind of one of his most famous poems and wow. it was, he goes on to say like you were within me and I was, I was outside like waiting, waiting for you, but you were within me. And I feel like that, you know, that like, honestly, when I had my kids, I first like that 
quote first resonated because I had this tiny baby and I was like, oh my God, it's so new, but it's so ancient at the same time. <laughs> and just something about like, right, that that strange duality between beauty being new and ancient, you know, that through the new we tap into the to the to the forever. Um really resonates. Sort of a timeless experience or like sort of like in some sort of lineage maybe of yeah, I mean, being like a, being a human, I guess. Like what you were saying, like the timely and the timeless, like yeah. the moment of now connecting us to all the moments of now, you know, I think it's really beautiful. That's cool. And also the sense that like, this is inside of us, you know, that we look for it outside, but it's in us. It's somehow like the capacity to tap into this is within us. Yeah. It's an important thing to consider and to like hear and digest, you know, if yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, so I've done this archetypal dream work um, for many years, for about 20 years, which I feel like is kind of a like a therapy practice that I've done. And um, yeah. but it's been so important for me in many ways. But maybe one of the sort of essential lessons is it's it's or the, is it's given me it's taught me how how like loved I am, you know, how yeah. kind of this sort of it's kind of given me a way to learn to love myself, which is that thing that everybody always talks about and struggles to, to create for themselves. Right. But I think that's connected to the St. Augustine poem that sort of, you know, this beauty is within us. It's, it's there for us to find. Um, yeah. I'm not sure where this comes from, but I know it's Carl Jung. There's this plaque that a friend has and it says, one who looks outward is a dreamer. One who looks inward is awake. Something to that effect. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, it's so, funny. I, when I was when I started making these paintings, my um, someone asked me a question, sort of, which was like, I don't know, you're really you're reflecting on your reflection, like, isn't that a little bit narcissistic or solipsistic? And I and I felt like, no, you know, this process of looking inward and looking more deeper, more deeply inward is actually it's sort of the opposite. It's a way of clearing all the crap out so that you can channel you know yeah well it's also like interacting with other people i mean if you're if you if you're inside you're you're doing that work or whatever it's whatever you know people choose to call it and you present yourself or just be yourself it's it's actually more honest and you're you're you make better friends because they know who you are that you know that sort of i don't know maybe it's maybe it's a ripple effect or chain reaction you know Um, you're right that makes so much sense and it's like all of a sudden you just have to be and then, you know, it's like, because you've done this work to try to, try to, try to go in and figure it all out. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> I wanted to ask you if you're ever surprised by painting and just in general, and also do you surprise yourself on yourself on occasion? Oh my God. All the time. I mean, yeah. it's so funny. I've been painting for so long. You think I would know that like, we really never know where we're going in painting. I never know what my next painting is going to look like. I never know what my paintings are going to look like two months from now. I never know, but yeah. yet I always want to know. I always try to know. Um, I'm getting a little better at letting that go. Um, but, you know, at all, I mean, the, I think the, one of the biggest joys about being a painter is that it's always taking you somewhere new that you weren't expecting to go. Oh, it, it's like the most fantastic tour guide. Like you're just... Huh going somewhere really exciting it could be really hard if you who knows where you're going but you're going you you wouldn't have put yourself there <laughs> yeah and i think in terms of this show um as i was talking about earlier 
I never saw these paintings coming. I thought I was going to make the radial paintings for the show. I never would have, you know, a year ago, I never would have thought that I would have made yeah. these paintings. That's so cool. I had no idea. I mean, I've, I've seen some of the radial paintings. I think it was on artsy or. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and so it's, it's cool to have that an idea of what those were about and then seeing your newer paintings, which made it into the show and hearing, you know, like how it happened organically. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it was amazing. And I, I, it was really partly because of this, I mean, largely because of the studio visit with a friend and kind of like just taking her advice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, you know, so studio visits are great. <laughs> In case, you, in case anybody didn't didn't know that. <laughs> They're so great. And I'm so grateful that I live in a community where I have so many artists who I can have studio visits with. Yeah. I had this question sort of, now what's next, would you say, after My Exploding Stars? Are you on to new um, ideas? Are you gonna, I, I feel like full of paintings to make and I'm, and I'm just trying to, you know, I feel like I'm just, you know, I've only been painting kind of this way since last April, so not even for a year yet. Um, yeah. So I feel like I just have so many things to figure out, like so many different color palettes to try out. And I think they're getting a little bit simpler even actually, the newer ones um, that I've been making. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of experimenting a little bit with being a little bit less fixed and a little more improvisational. Um, I'd love to have, I mean, I'd love to be able to, I work in a bigger space or because sometimes it's hard in my studio because I can't see that many at the time. Um, sort of love to be able to make some even bigger ones, but um, that's like a real investment in terms of time and money. So I'm not sure I'm going to be able to pull that off yeah. just, uh, but yeah, I feel like I, I, I have a, like a lot of work to make in this, in this way right now. Well, thank you so much, Philip. It's so much fun to talk with you. Yeah, wow. it's great. I'm thank you, and I'm glad we were able to connect and, you know, through various Instagrams. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, yeah, no, you just had great questions and great insights about the work, and um, it's amazing. You're obviously very, very observant. And thank you. That's amazing. that's important. I try, you know. Yeah. That's like one of the things I want to take to the interviews, you know, without yeah. trying to overdo it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's awesome, and and to think that you're able to take this from seeing them online and it's wonderful. It's really cool. Yeah. So okay. thank you for the time you spent with the work. Oh, you're welcome. Big thanks to Kat Balco for being on the podcast. If you are in the New York city area, be sure to check out Kat's solo show, my exploding stars at Rick Wester fine art, five twenty six West 26th street, suite four seventeen, New York, New York. It's up through Saturday, February 1st, 2020. Do check it out. This has been Oddcast. I'm your host, Philip J. Mellon. Thanks for listening. And keep the dialogue going. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Let me ask you this. Define abstract art. Oh, come on. Okay, here's a better one. What does this painting mean? <sighs> I'm getting nowhere with this, forget it. <laughs>
podcast home is A-H-T-C-A-S-T dot com. Thanks again. Sounds like the party's over, but you can still stay connected. For audio, Otcast is on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher. Social, Otcast is on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr. And let's not forget about Instagram. <laughs>